Before we start this episode, I want to ask you a favor. If you like the show, give me some love. It's great that you tell me that you like me and you give me the feedback, but please go ahead and also rate and review me on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Also, as we gear up for the holiday season, tell three people in your life, a friend or two, uh, relatives, that you have this new podcast that you listen to. That's the Chris Ham Podcast. And please follow me at Chris and Ham on Twitter. This show actually has listeners all over the world, even now. So please continue to help me spread the word. Your support and feedback are incredibly meaningful to me. Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast, episode number 30. This is our last episode that is going to be both recorded and released this year, and for that matter, this decade. You know, I don't know that there's enough acknowledgement that we are turning over a decade. You know, Maybe in the previous three that I've experienced, I am jaded as to what this should look like. And you know, Maybe there isn't as much fanfare as I'm expecting. You know, 1989 to 1990, I was too young to recall or apply context of a decade transition. Now, the one I remember a ton of hype for was Y2K, 1999, turn over to 2000 as a new millennium, a new century, even though, you know, technically we didn't enter a new millennium until 2001 since there wasn't a year zero, but for the purposes of simplicity, whatever. You know, 1999 to 2000, everyone freaked the fuck out about the technological infrastructure implications and worried there would be some sort of major blackout and planes would be falling out of the sky. We would see a glimpse of into the apocalypse. Uh, luckily for us, that didn't happen. Um, but then we look ahead and look at uh, 20, 2009, 2010. I didn't feel a big transition there um, from the aughts to the teens. Uh, but here we go. We're going from 2019 to 2020, and it feels significant. You know, my life, 28 to 38, was a time of growing pains, uh, choppiness, personally, a degree of personal turmoil, juxtaposed with some really beautiful and positive things like my marriage, the birth of my first daughter, the conception of my second daughter, uh, feeling like I was turning the page on a lifestyle chapter from a young party goer to a suburban dad, trying to make a mark in his career. Um, I I entered recovery and had a a big kind of spiritual awakening in this past decade. And, uh, you know, let me take a minute and acknowledge the gratitude for being alive, healthy, and hoping for a lot of good times and big life milestones in the 2020s. As my kids get older, as my marriage progresses, and let's hope that actually starts with a, a new presidential administration in the next year. And plenty to dive into with that as we look at our next 30 to 50 podcast episodes. But for now, we keep it a little light. All right, 2020 is less than four days away. Salut. So later on today's episode, a couple of specific rants. A hot take uh, based on an experience into town earlier today with my wife. Um, all three things, actually, the, the two rants and the hot take I had uh, all come from that experience I had with my wife today. Um, and uh, coming up next, a quick run through of NFL storylines and a ham, hot, sharp butter knife picks against the spread. So buckle up and enjoy. I can't believe that we are at 
the doorstep of the final week of the 2019 regular season and the last regular season of this decade. I know that's a big theme today. That's what we're, as I mentioned, a few days away from the new year. But the storylines to me this week going into week 17, the, the week 16 to week 17 bridge, if you will, are pretty obvious. You know, the, it comes down to how is the playoffs, how are the playoffs going to shape up and who's getting fired from the NFL coaching ranks? I mean, that's really what it comes down to as we, uh, you know, look ahead uh, a few days from now and, and see where things, things stand when we're um, here Monday morning. But um, we will cover a bit of the former before the picks and... The latter I will cover on my upcoming episode with Chris B, which will be recorded uh, hopefully on Black Monday and released sometime next week, either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Um, uh, it's going to be a great episode. We're looking looking forward to, to, to recording that with him coming up. But um, as far as the playoffs go and, the, and how the playoffs are going to shape up, I mean, here's how I see it. I mean, it's, it's simple. 11 out of 12 playoff teams uh, collectively in both conferences are set. The number, the two seeds are that are are set completely are the Baltimore Ravens at number one in the AFC and the Buffalo Bills at number five in the AFC. So let's start with the AFC. So the way the dominoes are going to fall is this: looking at the early slate of games, if the Patriots take care of business against the Dolphins, which you got to believe that they they likely should, being up over two being two touchdown favorites plus almost two touchdowns and a field goal favorite. Um, they get the number two seed, and they get they get the they get the buy. They're not going to get the one seed. The Ravens took care of business; have been the best team in the league. They've locked that in. But the Patriots will get the number two seed if they take care of business. Then the domino after that is if the Chiefs then take care of business in the early window against the Chargers, they are the number three seed. So those two teams can flip flop. If for some reason the Dolphins miraculously upset the Patriots and the Chiefs win, the Chiefs would be the two seed because of the tiebreaker when they played head to head a couple weeks ago and beat them, and the Patriots would be the three seed. But if the Chiefs win and the Patriots win, one, two, three, and four are set. And the Texans are the other number four seed. Um, if that happens, they can only move up to number three if they win and the Chiefs lose. But they're going to know that before they kick off at 425 against the Tennessee Titans. So that, that's kind of the picture of the division winners in the AFC. That brings us to the number six seed. So I mentioned Buffalo's already in. I won't get crazy, but if Tennessee wins against the Texans, they're in at six. If they lose in Pittsburgh wins, Pittsburgh with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph, um, the platoon, if you will, that seems to be going on the last few weeks, Pittsburgh is the number six seed. Now, Pittsburgh and Tennessee both lose, which is possible because they're playing good teams, albeit who are probably going to be resting a lot of their guys. But if Oakland wins, Oakland is in the playoffs. Oakland going to Denver to play their division rival, who's been playing pretty well to end the season. Big fan of squad, especially defensively. Uh, these teams haven't even faced off since week one, that late Monday night game that many of us didn't even watch. So Oakland could get into the playoffs at 8-8, eight eight, which is miraculous given yeah, they were six and four. They lost. They they laid a bunch of eggs, and they they can end up eight and eight to get into the playoffs. But uh, I'll break down the matchups next week without worrying about the permutations. So that's the the AFC picture. Now, as far as the NFC goes, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, and San Francisco can all get the number one seed. There's a lot more up in the air in the NFC. Now, the winner of the Sunday night football game, San Francisco at Seattle, wins the division. And finishes no worse than three. 
So in a nutshell, San Francisco controls their own destiny for home field. They win. Doesn't matter what the hell happens with the Packers or the Saints. Um, they are the number one seed and get home field throughout. The others need help by the collection of um, the others losing. So you could you could easily kind of surmise, you know, not some you just kind of extrapolate what happens. You know, if Green Bay wins and New Orleans loses, um, they could and, and San Francisco loses, they could be the number one seed. If New Orleans wins and Green Bay loses and um, San Francisco loses, they could get the number one seed. Now, as far as the wild cards go, the loser of the San Francisco-Seattle game is the number five seed and will go to the NFC East winner. Now, Minnesota is completely locked up in number six. Now, the Eagles control their own destiny in that crappy NFC East. They could actually, uh, they could actually even get in um, and get away with winning the division by tying the Giants. Now, ties, you know, happen, they happen more with the short and overtime in the regular season. Um, they're still incredibly rare. But if, if a tie happens for some reason against the Giants, they could still get in. The only way the Cowboys get in is if they win and the Eagles lose. So it's really interesting. And that's really the playoff picture. Um, and the storylines that don't involve trends towards next year and the coaching changes, which we will cover. So uh, looking forward to a fun day of football coming up. Ham, hot, sharp, butter knife picks against the spread next. So a solid rebounding week last week for the butter knife. I was two and one, baby. And, um, you know, I hit the two games Saturday, Saturday night last, or Saturday last, last week with the Pats minus six and a half hosting the Bills. Just eked that one out. Um, and then the Rams plus six and a half at the Niners, who frankly should have won the game outright. They outplayed them. And I thought I was headed for 3-0 with the Titans off to a hot start uh, against the New Orleans Saints, but they flamed out and lost. Um, I found that game meant actually very little for them because, um, you know, regardless, they need to win Week 17 to make the playoffs because they, you know, conference tiebreakers, um, you know, the Saints and Titans obviously were inter, or an, or an interconference game, so the implications didn't really matter as far as how that game went. Um, so for this season, I am now 22-22-4, exactly 500 with four ties. Uh, got off to a shitty start, um, was riding hot for a while, about two and a half months. Um, hit a little bit of a snafu for a couple of weeks, but overall I've um, been, been doing some pretty good picking. Um, for the last two and a half months or so since since the, the early to middle part of October. So I'm going to try to end strong here, but here's, there's a couple of things I, I did want to note. So number one, as we go into week 17, it's sort of like the preseason in the sense that there are a bunch of teams not playing at full strength for four quarters. Um, these are situations where, where you know, you have a team that um, is not playing that wants that it's not playing for anything significant or not playing um, to get into the playoffs, they they want to rest their starters. They want to rest their guys. Um, they they want to get give give them some momentum going into the playoffs, but they don't want to risk some kind of serious injury. Um, and also, you know, as far as week seventeen, why it's like the preseason, there's some withholding of the playbook. I think that goes on, especially for teams that are playing wild card weekend the following week. So proceed with caution if you're a person who just wants to toss out money to gamble for the sake of action and you know try to avoid that impulse but i know if you're in a pick them especially like a pick five you have to pick the games it could get really challenging though just to just proceed with caution um you know there's a, there's not a lot of low-hanging fruit out there especially considering most of the playoffs are set as far as teams go so that's number one is just looking at week 17 like the preseason number two beware of personal biases 
You know, we, we likely have a team that we're a fan of, but what's a good exercise is during a given NFL season is start to do a ranking of each team. If they were to play each other um, and there was no money at stake, who would you root for? Um, a lot of times our biases for or against teams drive who we might pick. So, so it's sometimes good to take like a ranking. Like, for example, I'm a Jets fan. So they're number one as far as my, my who, who I'd be most biased for. Um, but then, you know, I say, I say like the, if the Patriots played the Bills, who would I root for? It would be the Bills. So I hate the Patriots more. So I have to, you have to be careful that you're not going to pick against teams just because you don't like them. You know, try to, try to be at least aware of your biases. And if you hate a team so much, you should just avoid playing them. Um, unless it's a really significant value play. So um, that's what I have to say just as far as some tips going in. Um, my final regular season, week 17, ham, hot, shutter, sharp, butter knife picks against the spread. Tongue twister, baby. Here we go. All right, let's go to Cincinnati. Where the 1-14 and 14 Bengals are getting three points hosting the Cleveland Browns. So give me Cincinnati plus three here. Let's talk movement. Game started at Cleveland minus two and a half, has gone to Cleveland minus three. Some books have it, Cleveland still just getting, uh, giving two and a half. Well, so let's talk distribution. 75% of tickets are on Cleveland, but 51% of money's on Cincinnati. So that's Sharps making, making some, some bets on, on Cincinnati. So the Cleveland dream is over, all right? Last week, the Browns had an outside shot at the playoffs, but they were officially eliminated with their loss to Baltimore. And don't forget the whole dream crusher concept, which I mentioned. Uh, it's a big wise guy concept. The week after a team is eliminated from the playoffs, they tend to not be able to get up for the next game. All right. Add in that Freddie Kitchens is a dead coach walk- walking. Add in that the Bengals outgained the Browns in their first meeting three weeks ago and had 10 more first downs. Uh, Andy Dalton in a rough game. There were some turnovers that contributed and, and some lack of third down conversions in the red zone that contributed to them losing and even not covering the spread. But so listen, Cincinnati locked up the number one pick. So there's not going to be any mandate from up top to rest certain players to tank, which I know a lot of people deny happens. And sure, it probably doesn't happen with the players on the field because everybody has to play their asses off. It's hard to to mail it in when you're, you know, giant men that are hitting each other on the field and, 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 and on the gridiron. But I remember a week 17 game years ago um, when, when uh, Lovey Smith was a coach of the Bucks, and they got out to a big lead on the Saints. And uh, they were essentially, you know, tanking for Jameis that year. And um, I remember Lovey Smith pulled a bunch of guys out in the second half, uh, really just kind of went vanilla with the playbook and they lost the game. So, um, you know, that's something that you have to think about, especially when, when, when these teams are, are potentially like trying to get and land the top pick. But Cincinnati, by, the, by losing next week to Miami, which they almost blew, they have the first overall pick. So they want to end this season on a high note against the hated rival. So give me Cincy at home plus three against the Cleveland Browns and to win outright. Next, let's go to New England, where the Miami Dolphins are getting 16 and a half points at the Patriots. Give me Miami here, plus 16 and a half. Let's talk movement. This game started at New England minus 14, has gone up to minus 16 and a half. Let's talk distribution. 54% of tickets, but 74% of the cash on New England. So some big bets on New England, probably a minus 14 to get that line up two and a half points. Listen, I'm not trying to argue that Miami's on the, in the same ballpark as New England as far as team talent um, across the board. But Flores, Brian Flores can coach. And this team has some fight. And this team is not the same team we saw early in the season. They've been a lot more competitive since their bye week. Now, New England is motivated to win the game, but they are not motivated to run up the score, nor do they have the firepower. 
Ryan Fitzpatrick is feisty, and New England absolutely embarrassed the hell out of the Miami Dolphins when they played earlier this season in South Florida week two. They lost 43 to nothing, Miami did. But Miami, since the beginning of November, all right, since the beginning of November, they are four and four, all right? They started one and seven. Everybody forgets that. They are now four and four, and they're going to be motivated, all right? I'm sorry, they started 0-7. So they're going to be motivated to end the season playing competitively. Listen, I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm certainly not saying that. And I'd be wary of this game if Miami was coming north to a 25-degree day with snow, but the weather's expected to be pretty mild in the upper 40s, near 50 degrees with no rain, so it's unlikely to be a factor. So give me Miami plus 16.5 here at the New England Patriots. Finally, let's go to Minnesota, where Minnesota... The Minnesota Vikings, who are playoff bound, are at home getting three and a half against the Chicago Bears. Give me Minnesota plus three and a half. I'm going to snatch that up like Pac-Man. Let's talk movement. This game opened up probably after the Sunday nighter, um, after Chicago was embarrassed by the Kansas City Chiefs, when Minnesota was still motivated um, to potentially win the, the NFC North at Minnesota minus seven and a half. But obviously it's moved. So distribution. So 74% of tickets but 54% of cash is on Minnesota. So that signals that there's some bear sharp money here, but with a very radical line move. It's hard to understand where those sharp wagers were placed. Now, Minnesota shat the bed on Monday Night Football against Green Bay. Kirk Cousins is who we thought he was. Um, they lost the division, and they're locked into the number six seed. But you mean to tell me that this should be an 11-point swing? You know, one thing I've learned week 17 is that sometimes the team that is not motivated to win but is motivated to not lose too straight on their way into the postseason comes out swinging. That's what I see here happening with Minnesota. Chicago was in the opposite spot last year where they already had the division locked up and Minnesota still was playing for something and Chicago won outright. You know, don't think that Minnesota forgot that. You know, Cousins is bad on prime time and bad out of his routine out of the 1 p.m. out of the 1 p.m. time slot, but he is rock solid in that early time slot, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 Pacific. 35 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. Sorry, 35 and 20 as far as record in his career, 99 touchdowns, 39 interceptions, and including 7 and 2 this year with only three interceptions versus 20 touchdowns. Now Mitchell Trubisky is garbage, right? And he's playing against a good coach, a good defensive coach, and a motivated squad that doesn't want to limit to the playoffs, losing two straight, two straights. Um, I think he's going to struggle. I get Minnesota here at home uh, getting more than a field goal. Give me Minnesota all day plus three and a half and to win this game outright. So to recap, I like Cincinnati at home hosting Cleveland plus three. Miami going to Foxborough plus 16 and a half at New England and Minnesota at home plus three and a half versus Chicago. Coming up next, two rants and one hot take. Rant number one. All right, so my family and I, we used to live in another part of town uh, just south. So part of the same township, different village. And when we lived in this town, uh, which we love, um, I, and generally I like all the people that are, a lot of the people that are in this town as well. I think it's a good vibe of people. So there was this lady who, who probably was in her late 50s, early 60s, and she had a chocolate lab, and she'd walk her around similar times when I would walk my dog, Bruno. And Chocolate Labs, for some reason, across all these different neighborhoods, 
Um, all these different examples hate my dog Bruno. He gives off some kind of vibe. The chocolate lab saying "fuck you," and this dog has been was no exception. So we ended up running into this or seeing this lady today when my my wife and I um, ran ran a couple errands in town, and it just re- reminded me of a memory of what she would say when when I would walk by with Bruno. She would say to her dog, "This dog, he doesn't like you." She would say this to her dog, and this was absolutely infuriating to me. All right, and here's why. Imagine if these were children instead of dogs, and just 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 bear with me on on this on this uh, on this on this metaphor here. So, or, or analogy, I should say. So, imagine as if I'm bringing my three year old daughter Eloise to the playground, and every time that she's in the playground, another three year old would come up and push her to the ground. Imagine if that parent said, "Oh, Billy, Eloise doesn't like you." That's what's going on with, with this chocolate lab and Bruno. Or what was going on? What a distortion. It was like, fuck off, lady. Stop deflecting blame and own that your dog is the unruly one. All right? My poor dog's just trying to walk and you're trying, and, and it's bad enough that this dog is aggressive, but you're now trying to blame, blame my dog and the fact that your dog is being aggressive. Man, crazy things that we sometimes experience as dog owners. Rant number two. So say thank you. All right, this is an extension of my say thank you rant from from earlier this uh, this this year on my podcast. Um, so this situation today, where my wife and I were going into to a local pharmacy, and we've gone in before. There's there's a I guess a group of people that are from a few towns over that come in. They're they're usually kids and they're early teens that are selling uh, candy for a basketball team, and they must have all the necessary permits because. They're not stopped by the cops or anything. And the cops in, in the, the village that's that's near where we live, they're just insane. They, 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 they over-police, all right? They're, they're like, they pull over soccer moms at, at uh, you know, 12 o'clock, at 12 o'clock noon. Uh, they're driving through one of the wealthiest parts of uh, the, the, the Westchester County suburbs. But nonetheless, um, you know, the, the, I think these kids are legit. And we're pretty, my wife and I are, are usually pretty generous and, and we'll throw these kids a couple bucks. We don't, you know, they, they offer us to sell candy or to sell, you know, different raffle tickets or whatnot. We just give them the money because if they're, you know, out in the cold or the heat and out there for a few hours trying to solicit strangers, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, they do it in a very gentle, non-aggressive way. They have a whole explanation. Um, but today, um, you know, we walked in and my wife's like, oh, you don't have to go into your explanation. Like, you know, we'll, like we've given, we, 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 we've seen you guys before. We're, we're going inside and we went inside. I was like, you know, I think we're going to go like, like, let's give this kid some money on the way back out. And um, so we, I go back out and I, I hand the kid five bucks. I go in my wallet. And, I, and before I hand him five bucks, I say, hey, you know, we've seen you before. Um, you know, here's here's five bucks. You know, happy new year. This kid just stuck the money in his pocket, 12 years old, didn't say thank you or even acknowledge the fact that I gave him money. That just pissed me off. It really did. You know, if somebody gives you something that is not yours and if you're not an employee of that person and, and, and it's not a regular part of your compensation, say thank you. It's entitled. All right. And I have, I, as I said, I have a ton of compassion for these kids that are in potentially like more trying circumstances or just trying to, to earn extra money and, um, you know, whatnot. But this energy is going to yield you less money if you're going to come, come across in titles. Say thank you, kid. All right. Learn some manners. Learn on the job. All right. Now, hot take number one. So 
as part of my wife's Christmas gift, I, I went into a very um, beautiful local boutique that my wife and I know the owner. She's a really sweet woman. Um, she's a local parent, um, very popular in the community, very friendly, has great kind of odds and ends in, in her in her store, things for uh, the household, so to speak. So they're great things for your own house. They're great things to give gifts. Um, a lot of town-related items um, or village-related items, I should say. So I, I, you know, I got her a gift, and the gift was def- was partially defective. And um, my wife and I wanted to exchange it for uh, another um, gift, the, the 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 same gift that she wanted. To, I'll just say what it was. It was a water, but it was a, it was a nice kind of water bottle that was that was a part of her gift, and she wanted to exchange it for another one, and. Um, you know, we we walked in there, and the owner wasn't in there, and a couple of of the associates were in there. Um, it's a very small boutique. There's only probably two or three associates that are that are also in there, and um, you know, they were struggling because there was another product that was a, that was a nicer water bottle that was, you know, about uh, you know fifteen dollars more expensive, and it was bigger and it was slightly you know nicer. Um, but my wife, you know, wanted that one. Um, the, the smaller one originally, but when she saw that one, she's like, you know what? I really wanted a water bottle. I'll carry around a bigger one. Um, you know, Jen was like, it's fine. Like, 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 I'll, I'll like, I'm happy to exchange this one for that one. And these, you know, they, the, this, the, the store clerk, um, uh, the, 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 the associates struggled with like, oh, well, let us call the owner and find out. Can you leave your name and number? We'll call you back. So they tried calling. They couldn't get a hold of her. We ran a few errands around town. We came back, and they still made the decision of, oh, you know, we haven't gotten in touch with her, but um, you know, if you want to leave this water bottle here or take it back with you, you could try coming another day and doing it. And listen, my my mentality here, my 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 take, and I don't even know how hot of a take this is, but this is my perspective. If you have a defective product, you don't only reimburse for that defective product, but you also throw in a, a something of compensatory value for for damages or inconvenience. All right. If I'm at a, if I own a restaurant or if I'm at a restaurant, I should say, if, and, a, and a fly is in my soup, you don't just reimburse me for the soup, all right? You take some money off the bill, you throw in something else. And moreover, if the, if you substitute an item, so if I instead of getting a soup, I'm getting a, a sandwich as part of my lunch, you don't charge for the difference, all right? Everybody, all the way down the line, from owner to server to busboy at a restaurant, should know this concept, and, and it's no different at a local boutique. You know, my wife and I have spent collectively probably, you know, if, if not several, a couple of thousand dollars, several hundreds of dollars at this store. We'll likely spend thousands and upon thousands if this store continues to run. It's a very solid operation. Um, but, you, you know, you have to kind of not be short-sighted and, and, and just, and, and not even, you know, like no questions asked, in my opinion, do the right thing from a service perspective. So... Really kind of irked me going through that, but um, you know, at the end of the day, the owner did did reach out and uh, said that she was going to exchange the water bottle for the more expensive one as part of my wife's uh, Christmas gift. So um, that's my hot take on that as far as uh, as far as customer service goes. So if you own a business, you're out of business. Try to remember this principle: defective product does not mean you just. You just reimburse. You throw in something of compensatory value for damages and inconvenience always. Thanks for listening to the Chris Ham Podcast. Please follow me on Twitter at Chris N. Ham. Your support and feedback is incredibly valuable. 
as I grow this podcast. So please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and feel free to suggest topic ideas. Take it easy, friends. Be well.